Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, one of the hosts of the Prestige TV podcast. HBO's Barry is back for a fourth and final season. And that means I'll be back recapping the show with co-creator and star Bill Hader to dive deep on the themes, scenes, and major moments in the series. Bill will provide insight into how every episode was made and why it's ending. New Prestige TV Barry recaps will go live every Sunday night when the episode ends. So make sure you're subscribed to the Prestige TV podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes... You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier, and oh my God, what just happened? Joining me to break down all his action, uh, playoff Rob Mahoney, playoff Big Waz. Rob, have you caught your breath yet? I, you know, I'm just getting there. I'm just really glad that none of us on this podcast picked the Bucks to win the NBA Finals this year. <laughs> <laughs> we would never do such a thing. Listen, I... I can't remember the last time I was legitimately shocked. As you guys know, like I'm pretty even killed. Some might even say a little bit dead inside. Like Lynn Sanity did a little something for me. I'll be honest. Like Ray Allen, Miami Heat NBA final shot, of course. But holy shit, the Bucks just absolutely laying the biggest egg, losing the series to to the Heat three one in a game that. They were up 16, 16 in the fourth quarter, and they still somehow lost this game. Was I, I mean, what the hell? Uh, man, I, I'm sitting here watching this game all alone on my couch in my crib. And, you know, no cat. It, it, no, no cat. The cat is actually visiting um, family members. Uh, we can get into that at some other point. But <laughs> okay. um, I think we should. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have questions, but continue. The Bucs are up 16 to start the fourth. Bud is like, I'm playing my big dogs to start because I want to put this thing away. Spo is like, go ahead. I'm letting Jimmy rest. When he comes back, he comes back, and we'll see what happens. And instead of expanding upon the lead or simply holding serve, they gave up eight points. They started the fourth quarter one of 13 
from the field. And all of this stuff is predictable as crappy as Bucks offensive half court playoff basketball. Giannis isolating at the top of the key, dribble, dribble, pull up long twos from Giannis Antetokounmpo. Drew Holiday, just terrible dribbling, turning the ball over, uh, terrible shot selection. And then, you know, just overall, just a stilted offense. There's no movement. There's no creativity. The defense never has to guess what's going on. They're just loading up on these guys. And, and, and you know, whatever. I'm not going to sit here and beat my chest about the Bucks because... I picked the Knicks to lose in five, but I'm just gonna say this about the I'll say this about the Bucks, right? Like I I was very skeptical of what they would do in this year's playoffs because historically their offense, when they've needed it in big moments, has failed them, specifically in the half court against set defenses. And today they lost this game in that exact way. Yeah, they totally lost the plot in in ways that were predictable and familiar, as you're saying, was in ways that honestly were just really painful to watch. This was just an awful close to this game for Giannis in particular, who bricked a metric ton of free throws. So many so that at the end of regulation, we had something I, I don't think I've ever seen before, a climactic jump ball. And he he did not want the ball in his hands so much after that jump ball. He very nearly threw it out of bounds. Threw it out of bounds. Yeah. Get to overtime, miss more free throws. And then just when the Bucs finally seem to be putting things together in the extra period, finally start getting some momentum, he fouls Max Struess on a three for absolutely no reason. And it's, it's tough because he started this game so well. Obviously, he's playing through injury. Like, he's, he's playing his heart out. But, Waz, you're right. Like, it was, this was just like blunt force offense down the stretch in ways that we've seen from the Bucs before, in ways that, honestly, I thought we had graduated from. Like, did, did we learn nothing from when they won the championship by making him the screener in those same situations. He's a finisher. He's not an initiator. So sixth 1-8 upset in NBA history, 94 Nuggets, 99 Knicks, 07 Warriors, 11 Grizzlies, 12 76ers, and now the 2023 Milwaukee Bucks, who are a goddamn juggernaut in the regular season, and now fall to a team that had to play two play-in games. Not just one, but two, I mean, I guess you could asterisk this because Giannis got hurt in the first game, didn't play two games, nah. but he was available the next two. So I, I just have to wonder, was is this a bigger just fuck up even than the previous loss from the Bucs to the Heat in the bubble? Justin, this the, the Miami Heat started Kevin Love tonight. This guy is a scrap he heap it. guy. Yeah, he scrap heap guy. He was great. A scrap heap guy from the freaking Cavs who just lost in the first round in five games. They scrap heaped his ass. That Mm -hmm. team that just got dominated in the first round of the playoffs. Scrap heap guy. Gabe Vincent. Just a bunch of nobodies. I'm looking at the Heat lineup to start this game, and I'm just like, how can it be possible that Milwaukee would lose to this team? You know, I remember we were like, oh, man, it's too bad Tyler Hero went down because the Heat, uh, they might have had something. Like, the Bucks have everybody. And, yes, Giannis might not be himself, but, listen, pretty much everybody that I, I um, analysts that, I'm, I'm, that I have consumed their work, and they're like, yo, you know, I think the Bucks should, they would be even money, if not favored, to win this series even without Giannis. And this guy comes back. <laughs> Season on the line. 
And they lose both of these games in embarrassing fashion. And, of course, I know you guys are going to get into this. The head coach, what the hey? Should we just get into the bud discussion here? Because I think, there's I probably... Think I, I think there's a lot to pick apart here. I mean, we can get into whether or not, like, the, the Bucks were just not built for these type of situations or the Heat are particularly built for this. But I do think probably we need to start with Bud. Pockets the one timeout in regulation for some reason, even after Jimmy makes the miracle alley-oop oh, like, where he's just like somehow gets the ball for one over Pat Connaughton and Drew and then makes the shot. He absolutely committed an offensive foul. <laughs> oh, yeah, that yeah, happens. for sure. But no one's calling that. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, there was no like sense of what was going on on offense. There was no creativity. It was the typical bud stuff, but it was almost like compounded by it felt like he in fact was in shock and didn't know what to do out there to combat what was happening. Yeah. The, the timeout thing is interesting because philosophically speaking, I see the merits in like the let him go right element of surprise. You have Giannis, you know, waning seconds on the clock. Let's see if we can make something happen. In theory, I get it. In practice, your team has just run up dry possession after dry possession, trying to improvise, trying to make this spacing work, trying to create just these kinds of advantages. Like those decisions, the decision like call timeout or not in a crucial moment at the end of a game is predicated on like, do you trust your team to execute in this moment? And the Bucks, champions though they may be, did nothing in this fourth quarter and overtime to suggest you should trust them with that responsibility. Wow. Like, you should stop that moment and draw something up. Rob, they went one for 13 against a team that was playing Kevin Love and Gabe Vincent together for large stretches of the fourth quarter. Kevin Love. Yep. We hear all the time about the certain type of guys who can, who can be played off the court in a huge playoff series because of their alleged defensive shortcomings. Unless you're playing the Bucs. Because <laughs> if you got guys with defensive shortcomings, it's completely fine. The Bucs will not exploit their weaknesses. They will not attack these guys. It'll be great. They'll attack Bam Adebayo on isolation post-ups. They'll attack Jimmy Butler on um, isolation, you know, dribble drives. They will do nothing against Kevin Love and the Gabe Vincents and all these other guys. It's, it's insane that you would think this group that you just watched squander a 16-point fourth-quarter lead against the ninth seed in the Eastern Conference, that they would just, no, they're just going to figure it out because they've just been figuring everything out. Well, I do want to give the Heat a little bit of credit here because something happens in the middle of every fourth quarter where this team just, like, all of a sudden gets superpowers. Like, I had written down, like, man, <laughs> if Jimmy just had a little bit more help in this game probably could have won this one. And this is when the Bucks were up big, seeming like Milwaukee was going to cruise to a another win here. And then all of a sudden, Bam out of bio becomes Magic Johnson hitting Jimmy Butler off a short roll and getting him looks at the basket. And then like Max Struess drawing like fouls for three in clutch time when they needed Kyle Lowry. I mean, God forbid yeah, yeah. Kyle Lowry gives you much, but like, you know, he, he was chipping in there as well. And it's just like, Every 50-50 ball all of a sudden becomes Jimmy Butler's. It's like this was also a perfect storm situation where this is the exact team you do not want to face when you're a little disjointed and a little on edge in these situations. Yeah, but this is the storm that the Heat create, right? Like those are not accidents. Those are yeah. occurrences that happen almost every game. And like, I'm glad you brought up the BAM thing because that's a perfect example of what the Heat do. 
the Bucks had Bam in mind jail for three quarters of this game. He was in his head. He could not finish over Brooke Lopez. He was bricking every short and mid-range jumper he took. The Heat took him out of those situations and they moved him all the way to the weak side. And they used him as like an outlet, right? Like, we're going to kick the ball to you. You're going to run a little handoff with Duncan Robinson. We'll see if we can get something. That didn't really work that well. So then they had him bring up the ball and literally be the point guard, be the trigger man. And we saw Butler, rather than have to create an ISO every trip down the floor, all of a sudden he's juking and cutting and trying to lose Drew Holiday that way. He's sneaking back door. You're getting your best player backdoor cuts all of a sudden. I thought that put the Bucks defense in some positions they weren't really expecting. Not to mention the fact that then it opens up Bam to crash the offensive glass. And he came up with two huge putback dunks in overtime, right? That's all Eric Spolstra. That's him repositioning the floor. That's him putting Bam in a different space. It's Bam being a skilled big, being a versatile player who can do different kinds of things. That's Miami Heat basketball, right? That's why they are advancing and ultimately the Bucs are not. Imagine a coach coaching. (laughs) Who could imagine that? A coach not just doing the exact same thing that he does every single game against every single opponent. And, and like, <laughs> we all of this shit is just so... We've repeated this same stuff over and over. Tibbs, he never wants to... Tibbs, sorry. Tibbs is actually making adjustments. But <laughs> he, he, he never wants to make an adjustment. He's just going to do his thing. Justin's telling me, no, he loves math. He's going to play the math. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm watching... And I keep bringing up Gabe Vincent because this dude had a monster freaking game. Like, he had a monster game where he's coming off, he's initiating offense, coming off of the pick and roll. He's like, all right, Brooke Lopez is going to stay within five feet of the basket. I'm going to walk into wide open 16-footers because I'm an NBA player. Like, I I can make that shot at will. And he made a bunch of those walking into shots. And at no point did the Bucs say, all right, maybe we switch it. Maybe we, maybe let's see Gabe Vincent drive one of our guys, our bigs, off the dribble. Where he's just like, oh, you're playing me too close. I'm going to take it all the way to the basket. Let's see him do that one time. Maybe we trap the ball one time. Maybe we bring the guy to the level. Maybe, maybe we try something different besides the exact same thing every single time up the floor, bruh. The Heat took 110 shots in this game. That's unreal. I have never seen that in my entire life. I'm, sh- I'm sure it's happened one time, but just the extra possessions that they have. And they fired up 45 threes just to show you like what Spolstra can do. Like He, he is going to lean into your one sore spot and just keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. And that's basically the recipe for this Heat success here. It was Jimmy Butler playing out of his mind, playing like no one we've really seen. Even like peak LeBron, all these guys. He was just like at that level for this entire season. And then they just fucking barraged with threes with pretty adequate three-point shooters, we should mention. Like typically it's the Bucs shooting teams out of games, but... Spo just had the right thing in order to lean on them, and eventually the Bucks fell over. Rob, I do want to ask here because this isn't the first time the Bucks have gotten into this situation. Like, what is it about them where this team could be such a machine during the regular season, but they find themselves in this situation in the playoffs? Is the fact that uh, Bud is so robotic at times and so beholden to what he believes in? Is it the fact that 
in clutch time situations, you can't turn to like a Jimmy type isolation score. It is Giannis. You're kind of putting him in a position that he probably shouldn't be in. Like, what do you think it is? I think it's a combination of stuff, right? It is the dogma, which is a very real thing with the Bucks. It is something as, as simple as like, okay, we, we rag on their offense and deservedly so. They just kind of lost their spacing over the course of this game, right? Like they had guys like Wes Matthews out there who are just like not really being guarded, you know? Great. The, this game ended with the ball in Grayson Allen's hands, right? Like these are some of the situations that you're being put in by the fact that the Heat know how to shrink that space. They know how to, to crowd your angles. They know how to deny your entry passes into Giannis or... I mean, they, they didn't even really try to post up Brooke Lopez down the stretch at all, despite the fact that he was being guarded by much smaller players. That was an option that was probably available to them. But the spacing inhibits that, right? So there's some complications with teams like the Heat knowing where your pressure points are. Knowing that if we just, like, if we assert a little bit of pressure here, you're going to fall back on your worst tendencies, which is very gummy offense, which is very stringent, specific defense in which we play to our system, and that's about it. Miami is great at capitalizing on those teams, on those things. Not every team is, but clearly if you have even like one superstar player and Jimmy Butler is one of the best in terms of performing in these situations and just a dynamic enough roster, you can make this kind of upset happen with Milwaukee. Justin, so how many times we're watching Steph play or we're watching Dane play or we're watching, you know, any number of superstars, uh, Luca play where teams decide, yo, he has to get, we, we got to make him get rid of the ball somehow. We're going to force him to do something else. We're going to force somebody else to initiate. We're going to force, you know, we're going to make it so that Kevin Love is catching the ball at 18 feet and he has to come up with an, uh, a nice play on four and three. We're going to force something else. They did not do that once. They said, we're going to guard Jimmy Butler who's the best player since Jordan, <laughs> on an island at all times, no matter what. It doesn't matter how much he destroys us. It doesn't matter how much he yells at Drew Holiday and tells him, you can't guard me, and just utterly pants this dude in front of, you know, uh, tens of thousands of people and millions of people watching at home. Well, it was NBA TV, forget it. But, like, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? God. You know what I mean? Like, at no point did anybody... Try something different, man. Like, they just would not do it. And on offense, I think the thing about the offense, though, that I'll cut them some slack. Before they got Drew Holiday, I remember everybody was, like, pining for Chris Paul because there was this idea that they needed some kind of table setter. Uh, they ended up winning the championship, uh, which... Let's face it, the competition was trash. We can say that. Um, they ended up winning the championship, and we got rid of that entire notion. We we uh -huh. literally got rid of the idea that the Bucks need table setting. It was like, nah, they're good. They're good, they're good on table setting. And then when we watched it tonight, to me, their best offense was Middleton picking rolls. Yeah. Because he, yeah. you know, they gotta honor him, his pull-up, and he has some level of presence with the ball and an ability to see the floor. At least Drew Holiday got none of that. Giannis, like, you know, I think they tried to go um when Kevin Love was guarding. Uh, Brooke Lopez, they tried to do, do that pick and roll, and they got some decent stuff out of that, but they just couldn't get organized at all. Do you fire Bud? <laughs> you got to think about it, right? Oh, boy. I mean, this was a meltdown, right? I, I think, Justin, you're right. I think there will be people who will look at this series 
as a bit of an outlier given Giannis's injury at the beginning of it. I I don't really see it that way, you know? I do think they I do think that even if Giannis had pl- been in limited form or played only a, c- a couple of these games, I think they had enough to win. And not only did they not win, but when they Giannis came back, they flamed out the like Miami this. Miami Heat, Rob. Their team is way better than the Heat's. Well, I, did you hear that I though? Agree. That was that was Rob talking around the fact that I think he wants to fire Bud. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not firing anybody. I'm not. I'm not firing anybody. But but like, you could see it if you if you want to say is coaching in part responsible for why the Bucks lost this game in this series. I think you could absolutely make that argument, and I think it's fair. I think there's other factors too, but he did not help their case. I think they need a new voice. They need a new voice in there. Nick Nurse just left the Raptors after winning coach of the year and also winning a title. It's a rare occurrence. I think it's only happened four or five times. I mean, it's also rare when a coach wins coach of the year and wins a title because only so many coaches have won titles. Um, Buck's right up there. Bud is right right up there with that. And it would be an outlier situation, especially considering the regular season that they had. But man, just like the boom and bust of this team where they could just look so goddamn solid, absolute juggernauts in the regular season, and then they just get toppled over just by circumstances, coaches, just like one player just being the biggest ball player in in the absolute universe. I I don't know, man. I think you got to at least think long and hard about it. You do have to think long and hard about it. I do want to circle back, though, because we're talking existentially about the Bucks, And the reason we're talking existentially about the Bucks is because Jimmy Butler is really fucking good, right? Yeah. This, none, none of this happens. You know, all of Spoh's, like, great maneuvers, all yeah. these, like, Kevin Love and Gabe Vincent shots are irrelevant if Jimmy Butler is not exactly this good. And not only that, his ability to finish over and around three of the best defenders at their positions in the league in Drew and Giannis and Brooke Lopez, unbelievable. Like his, his ability to maneuver, to create space, to create angles, to elongate and finish in those situations. I literally do not understand how he does it. And yet he just does it over and over and over again. I, I mean, what, what do you do if you're Drew Holiday? Like, I, I honestly thought like, like if you're zooming in on a possession, it's like he's do mostly doing a pretty good job. Like they threw Wes Matthews at him some in this game. It's like, I think Wes Matthews is playing pretty good positional defense. And then you look up, Jimmy Butler has 42 points and you lose and your season is over. You feel bad for a potential defensive player of the year. That's what he does to people. Yeah. He's beating these guys in every which way. Like you said, the, the duckins, the, the freaking pump fakes where he's just having guys jump, pump faking guys out of their freaking shoes and gym socks. And then, you know, when he needs to, he seems to hit a huge mid ranger at the most important moments. That three that he hit on the left side of the court where I was just like, hold on. It was like almost like a line drive and he just nails it. And I'm just like, oh boy, here we go. And he's just, he is, dude, he is berating Drew Holiday the entire oh. freaking time. It was ugly. Yeah, it was bad. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy deserves all of his props, all of his flowers, man. Um, as much as you know, people say he's a slightly difficult guy to deal with at times. Um, you know, he ends up missing a decent chunk of the regular season. It feels like every single year when the games freaking count, this guy is un 
unbelievable. In 2020, there were games where he was just as good, if not better, than LeBron James in the NBA Finals. They ultimately didn't have enough at the end, but they gave the Lakers everything that they could handle. And essentially, 2021, when he was hurt, he was bad in the playoffs. And the Bucs, they, they got him. Outside of that, since he's been in Miami, he's been a complete maniac every single playoffs. Every single one. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Really, to bring it all home, the reason this game went to overtime in the first place, right? I think there were two, two seconds left. Is that how much time was on the clock? Sideline out of bounds like, play yeah. for the Heat. I think it was like 2.1 or something like that. There's a moment where the Bucks are trying to decide. Up there, Bucks are up to at this stage. Do we put Brooke Lopez on the floor? And they kind of bring him out there and they kind of yo-yo him back. And the reason they do that is because they are, I assume, terrified of the three, right? They've been trying to shut down the threes all series and mostly failing, even just limiting the Heat's attempts. They don't want to lose on those terms. They take Brook Lopez out of there. So what happens? You get a lob to Jimmy Butler at the rim that is not him finishing at the rim, but catching it, reclining backwards, <laughs> and somehow finishing that play, right? It's it's the whole series uh. in microcosm right there. We're so scared of what the Heat can do at three that we're going to end up letting this amazing player make an amazing play. 38 points per game, 60% shooting from the floor, 45% from three from... Yeah. A bad three-point shooter, he typically hits one of three in the regular season. Honestly, a 45 sounds low. Yeah. I, yeah. I just assume they're going in. I've never seen anything like this. Like, we've Jimmy seen Jimmy Butler's a good players... three-point shooter, y'all. He, <laughs> he's, he's a good three-point three shooter. He does this every year, though. Like, we've seen this in from him before. Yeah, it's yeah. like he almost evolves a separate limb that allows him to now be a good three-point shooter, <laughs> a willing and good three-point shooter. I've never seen anything like this. Like, we've been doing this a very long time. We've seen big performances. I've never seen a player go from good player to absolutely fucking elite with the bullet, one. And then carrying this team of, let's be honest, riffraff, just guys that they picked Bruh, up off the scrap heap and two, turned into NBA Bruh. players and carry them to a, a series victory. Not only that, a 4-1 a series victory over the best team in the NBA, potentially. Well, that, oh, that riffraff in this game, you know, Jimmy Butler, for everything he did, for all everything we just said about him, his minutes on the floor, the Bucks won by 10 points. The riffraff won, you know? Like, they did their part, especially during that early fourth quarter stretch that Waz laid out. Dude, and it's, this, there was a play in the overtime in the, on an um, inbounds play where Jimmy set a screen for Cody Zeller. I think it was Cody Zeller. Um, yeah. And everybody reacted so frantically to Jimmy running towards the ball, thinking he's trying to get the ball. Instead, he sets a screen, sets up a wide open layup, and he's guarding the hell out of people on the other end of the floor. It, it's just, you can't say enough about what he did tonight. And like, Haywood Highsmith... Like, if I told you Sacramento or Golden State had to play this guy significant minutes in their series, you'd be like, man, that's tough. That's going to be hard minutes for them to figure that out, right? If I told you um, Duncan Robinson, who could not get on the floor this year, couldn't get on the floor. He's playing 15 minutes in this game. Again, the Kevin Love shit, like, guys, he was a freaking buyout. Like, uh, like the buyout shit has gotten so bad that we don't even do the crap where it's like, it's not fair when Brooklyn and the big market teams get all of these buyout guys. <laughs> Everybody's realized, like, buyout guys stink. 
We shouldn't be caring about them or talking about them. Kev loves starting this game and having an impact. This is crazy. It's all because of the gravity that Jimmy Butler is creating around himself and just, you know, his sheer uh, will, man. It's, I, can't, I, I can't believe what I watched tonight. Well, we still got a, a little bit more on the Bucks here because we have to say goodbye to them. Uh, they go off into the offseason and there's a big decision awaiting them. Giannis is extension eligible. So independent of the Bud conversation, I do feel like Giannis probably has to think long and hard about his future here. What do you guys think? Do you think he will sign this? And if he doesn't, how worried are you as the Bucks ownership? Because the other part of this is that they also have free agents to deal with. Chris Middleton, free agent. Brick Lopez, free agent. The Gnosis Antetokounmpo, free agent. So they either <laughs> need to double down on... right there, Jess. <laughs> yeah, get that bag, Nasi, you know? Uh, he needs it to, to fund his podcast operation. Um, Giannis really needs to make a decision whether or not he wants to double down on this being his future. I mean, he could always ask out, he could get the bag and then just figure it out later. But like, I think it's a fair question you, you have to ask if you're Giannis. Like, is this the team that's going to carry me into the next phase of my career? Because this is typically when guys try to ask out and find other guys to play with. I would be shocked if we get that outcome, right? Yeah. I, I, I would be shocked by him asking out. Would right, I be, but it's, I, it would be the start of, of potentially something down the road, maybe. I, I feel you. I, I mean, I think the outcome that probably makes the most sense for Giannis is play out your current contract. And you have, you have your mm. option, your ability to hit the open market in 2025 if you want to. Play it out. See how things change. Obviously, he has a lot of input in that organization and the future it takes. I, I, that's not something you just gloss over, right? Like, this is home for him, his NBA home, the place where he won a championship. These are the guys he won an NBA championship with, the coach he won an NBA championship with. We'll see how much that matters to him and matters to the Bucks. Like, I don't even think that's sentimental necessarily, right? Like, there are bonds forged in those things that do matter. And we're going to see how much they matter to Milwaukee. Yeah, and I wonder if he'll try to time his, his join up with the new CBA. And, you know, even though I heard they're doing smoothing with the cap, it's going to be a significant bump in how much guys can make after this new money gets tabulated. So you wonder if he keeps that in mind um, when he's trying to figure out whatever his next deal is or if he's going to hit free agency. I mean, as embarrassing as it is, like they had the best record in the league. And and I hate doing this trope because I see it all the time. It, like Every time I see people talking about it, it's like, it feels like the regular season is completely irrelevant. But, I mean, you can't say that the team that they put around him is not talented and good and capable of winning. There's a ver- I, I mean, this seems kind of obvious to say this, but there's a version of this series where the Bucks actually win it and, like, actually go to the conference finals, right? Like, there's a version of the NBA playoffs this year where that happens realistically. Again, this, they were the number one seed overall in the NBA this year. <laughs> so I don't know that he could say like, oh, this the my situation is dire here. No. Um, he seems to have a close relationship with the organization. Um, he seems to really like being in Milwaukee. He doesn't seem to care about the stuff that, quite frankly, um, our American guys do. He seems to be motivated by different things than those guys. Um, so I wouldn't be too worried, man. I, I wouldn't be too panicked. Yeah, we're just not here if the Heat win their play-in game against the Hawks, right? Like, 
<laughs> history is rewritten because the Heat couldn't take care of their business in that game. Think about that, man. I'm, I'm just or, saying, like, that's how crazy this stuff is sometimes. Game. Oh, my did God. Did they punt that game in order to get this matchup? That's the real galaxy brain right there. Yeah, I mean, oh listen, it doesn't God, help I can't believe that the Heat were a reported suitor for Giannis when he came up on on his previous contract that doesn't help i i mean if you're him i think you have to think long and hard about this i i agree with wads i think you probably want to play this out to see if you could rebound from this but just like the boom and bust of this again like to win a title obviously it's going to stick with them and it's going to matter to him long term but to get bounced twice by a guy like jimmy to look around your team and not see that guy and say that potentially could be the the route to stacking more titles i mean it happens to guys all the time. And at a certain point, I think you have to wonder like, is sentimentality, like, is it too much? Is it, is it sentimentality and not something real that I can move forward? Cause these guys are also older. We should mention like Brooke Lopez in his thirties, Middleton in his thirties, Drew Holiday. So independent of all of this, there are reasons why you might want to target a younger player in order to glom onto or, or team up with in order to figure something else out. I know well, this sounds like I mean, fantasy Jim, basketball, but this, Jimmy's, has, not, this, is, this is the Jimmy's not a younger player, but I I I hear what you're saying, and you know if, if we want to do uh, participate in reckless rumor mongering, um, Giannis wasn't feeling Middleton's extended stretch of rehab and um, you know coming back from his injury. That was a lot of the scuttlebutt um, earlier in the season coming out of Milwaukee. Yes. That Giannis was just a little, just a little, like, uh, come on, hurry up, kid. Like, what are we doing here? I'm doing all of this by myself. I'm, I got a free. He led the league in usage this year. You know, this is after we all understood and recognized that Giannis was better as a finisher and not ultimately the be-all and end-all of an offense, right? Um, and so, you know, there was a little smoke there. But again, I, I like he's he feels like he has a different makeup, man, um, than than most of the guys that we talk about when we're talking about this stuff. And and again, if I was Milwaukee, I, I wouldn't be too too concerned yet. I do want to talk about the Middleton part, though, not necessarily the rumor, but his <laughs> state on this team in general. Right, he's in an interesting place. Clearly, a player who's getting older, as you said, coming back from a lot of injury this season instrumental to their offense in this game, right? If they had won, he would be one of the principal reasons why. But also, like, he were not shy about the fact that Jimmy Butler was, like, targeting him defensively. Oh they were pulling Chris in the into dust. the pick and roll, going at him, and, and Middleton couldn't stay in front of that. And when you have a player like that at this stage in his career who's meant this much to the franchise in free agency this summer... I mean, I would, I would think, and honestly, I would hope that they are able to bring him back, but those numbers can get tricky very quickly for a player like Middleton, right? Aging veterans who may or may not be a critical part of your future, those are the hardest players to price in the NBA. What's a fair number for uh, Chris Middleton, all things considered? 35? I mean, his no. agent's going to... He's going to his agent's going to ask for a max and I don't think he's wrong for doing so because they're over a barrel with the Bucks. Like Drew Holiday wasn't a max player probably where you wouldn't think about him when he was traded to the Bucks. He got the max because the Bucks had no other recourse. The Bucks have nothing to build this team outside of just bringing back their core and supplementing supplementing it with guys like Ingles and some of these other guys they pick up. Yeah. Like this is their team. 
Like they they have no draft picks. They just have to roll it back and just assume that like this was a blip Next and not just track for some... the dude I watched tonight. He's already on one. Yeah. So I guess I'm I'm sure we'll talk about this one or fifty times over the next couple yep. of months. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken. And buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's flip to the other game at night, which uh, hopefully people watched. I mean, it was tough to keep track of all these with two games going at once all the time. Uh, the war It just so happened that two of the most exciting teams in the NBA played yet another close matchup. Warriors 123, Kings 116. Um, Rob, What's your takeaway from from this one? We'll start there. I mean, the Warriors get a signature Warrior-style road win like we would expect them to do in most seasons, but maybe not this one. And so maybe maybe there is some hope in that, of this being the Warriors team, the championship core, that given the players on the roster, you would expect them to be. There are a couple kind of uh, asterisks on that. One, you may not expect Draymond Green to be a prominent scorer featured finishing layups, especially contested ones, and yet he seemed to finish about everything in this game, even stuff with Sabonis right in his face. Otherwise, you got signature clay moments, kind of sustaining them through some tough moments. You got Steph finishing incredibly well, weaving his way through the Kings' defense. Andrew Wiggins, honestly, like, I know we've talked about him a lot and the swing potential that he was going to have over Golden State season. His ability to be rock solid in these games and he delivered some of the biggest shots in crunch time i mean there's nothing bigger than that as far as saving a championship defense this just felt like a team in in the warriors that had a couple more answers a couple more moves it was close throughout it's hard to make like a big takeaway from that but if there is one it feels like this established you know dynastic team against this fun plucky energetic one that like just kind of hit a wall and kind of hit, you know, Darren Fox's finger against it. I just feel bad because I was holding the line all season long. Like, 
guys, it's the Warriors. They won the championship last year. Like, they're going to be fine. If all their guys play in the playoffs, they're going to be fine. Big shot makers. They execute down the stretch, even though they didn't <laughs> in game four. They almost <laughs> they almost choked down the stretch in game four. But you know what I mean? Like, they make... They make the big plays, timely plays. Like, that last shot that Wiggins hit when things were getting a little tense, it's like he had enough space to get a nice running room against a scrambling defense, and he made a, a pretty... That's a pretty tough shot, you know, a basically a long sort of paint shot. Um, and, and they just do this. And, you know, towards the end of the season, I was like, oh, my God, I've, I've given up. I, I, can't, I can't watch another road loss and think these guys are going to do anything. And then, of course, they go down uh, 0-2, and everybody's just like, wow, is, th is this how it ends? But, if, you know, inevitably they're going to end up winning this thing four straight. If you've watched any of the Lakers – and Memphis series. I don't know how you watch either one of those teams play and think they got anything for this Warriors group, or even if the Kings, if they're able to turn this around. I, I think those two teams look toast to me. Uh, they just look I absolutely the shot the Kings, at moments. But yeah. Yeah, maybe. Lakers. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I just think the Warriors, you know, um, they, they're just showing their championship medal, man, in these close games. You just have absolutely no doubt that they're going to pull it out. When, when Klay Thompson gets a shot off, any shot off in a game like this, you think it's going in. And, you know, they find just enough defense at just the right moments. Um, they find performances like Draymond, and they stitch this thing together, and they just move on. I should really know better, but even after all these years, Clay is just the king of these possessions where when he catches the ball and starts dribbling, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know about this. It seems like a bad idea. And then inevitably ends with an amazing, like, you know, either step into or sidestep three, contested or not, any situation, any time on the clock, doesn't matter. It's Clay Thompson. And they just have so many guys who deliver in exactly that kind of way. I know. Watching them and watching Jimmy and watching Devin Booker and what he's been doing in that series, it's just a reminder that like the most audacious shot makers who can hit with people draped all over him are just going to be the most valuable at this time of year. And as much as we want to pick apart all the nuances of this, like we love to do on this podcast, that makes a difference. And tonight, one of those shot makers was one Draymond Green who scored 21 points somehow. Insane. First time, according to our producer, Ben Cruz, since Christmas Day... 2019 uh bench draymond rob are, are you ready for the revolution i ask you six man of the year you know andre iguodala couldn't win it but maybe draymond could maybe it's time let's get let's get a warrior of the award i guess that puts him in the race for finals mvp as well i mean why not it is the way that's working out is kind of funny i mean i have to say this was Although his his stat line may not suggest it, I thought a pretty decent Jordan Poole game. But overall, just the idea of benching Draymond for the sake of putting another guard in there and specifically putting Jordan Poole in there, I can't even wrap my head around it. But it's worked. Yeah, I, I wasn't into it. I certainly was like, oh, Kerr, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like let's let's stop playing with our food here and play our best players. Um, as many minutes as possible, especially together. But, you know, two games in a row, you, you can't argue with the results here. 
Yeah. I mean, the Kings started hot in this one, eight for 12 from three. Unfortunately, they then hit two of their next 23. You got to wonder if the injuries are starting to mount. Uh, I thought James Ham uh, of on the Kings beat put this nicely. Uh, Debonis Sabonis cannot hold a beer and De'Aaron Fox cannot pop the top on a beer can. <laughs> and and at a certain point, if they're driving so much of your offense, like yeah. a, eventually the, the Warriors are just going to stomp on it and 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 top you over. Well, especially Fox, right? Like, this is a hard-fought, heavily contested game. You go into the fourth quarter, you have the unanimous clutch player of the year in De'Aaron Fox. And yet, because he agitated that finger earlier in the game, he just comes up over on a lot of crucial attempts that in any other game he makes. Like, that, some, some of it is just circumstantial in that way, right? It's, it comes down to De'Aaron Fox in a previous game when a play is already dead, accidentally getting his finger swatted by Kevon Looney, and that, that changes your season. Yeah. Uh, Waz, it's your night tonight. Do you want to move on to the Knicks and Cavs or Grizzlies and Lakers? I mean, it's obviously Knicks and Cavs. I, I got to say off the top, I, I owe Knicks Nation and the New York Knicks an apology. I, I greatly dismissed them and underestimated what they could do. I was like, I, yeah, I get it. They were probably the best or one of the best offensive rebound teams in the league. Why would they do it in this series, right? Um, they were one of the best defensive teams in the league all year. Um, no, but they're not going to be able to stop Donovan Mitchell. And surely, you know, Darius Garland um, is going to be able to get his stuff off. Like, nah. And, and you know, Evan Mobley is, is a young up-and-comer. They're not going to be able to switch their little guys onto him. And, you know, Randall, even if he's been better at defense, he's still Julius Randall at the end of the day. And I'm just like, no, they're not going to be able to do this. And... Lo and behold, man, in this game, you know, the Cavs, their season is on the line, Justin. And they are getting beaten and bruised on the board. Just worked. By Mitchell Robinson. Just oh my God. absolutely destroyed on the board. They're, they're the ones getting out in transition. They're the ones getting the, um, the second chance points, right? And, of, and of course, they're... Their all-star, well, he didn't, he got snubbed from the all-star team, but their all-star acquisition, yeah. <laughs> Jalen Brunson, um, he absolutely controlled this entire game. He was everything Donovan Mitchell wasn't and needed to be for his team. Uh, when the Knicks had to try to find ways to score in the half court, they just gave it to Brunson and he found the matchup that he liked and he scored straight up. Uh, and that was the difference in this game, man. I'm sorry. Like, Donovan Mitchell just could not beat people. He just couldn't. I don't know. Maybe something's going to come out that he had some kind of ailment that was stopping him. But this is a guy sure. we've known to be be getting downhill all the time. He had no shots at the basket whatsoever. Everything's a three. Everything's a, a pull-up jump shot. There's nothing going towards the rim. And at certain points, I'm just like, the Knicks pick-and-roll defense is shutting every single down, every single thing down at the root. What are you supposed to do in that situation with your alleged superstar franchise-level type of guy? Isolate and beat a guy. That's what Devin Booker's doing. That's what Jalen Brunson's doing. That's what Steph Curry's doing. Donovan Mitchell just couldn't do that. And so the version of this team that Rob and I thought were going to be a force to be reckoned with in the playoffs, that version had an all-star, borderline superstar-level player in Donovan Mitchell. And he was anything but that in this series. And the Knicks, God bless them, man. They, they played their advantages. They beat these guys up. 
at every single turn. There's nothing fluky about this series when they just killed no. these dudes. And we got to give it up to them for that. Yeah, I think what's most painful about this for the Cavs is knowing that in all of these games, the Knicks didn't really take them very seriously, right? Like, and I don't mean that in the sense they didn't do their homework or like do the scout or, or really game plan specifically to beat the Cavs. I mean, they were not daunted at all by Cleveland's front court or really daunted by any Cavalier on the court whatsoever. They did not honor any non-shooter standing in the corner as any real threat or any kind of real spacing. It was. It really was kind of an indictment of the Cavs' entire process that I don't think Mitchell Robinson was in foul trouble in a single game of this series to the point that, as was outlined, I, th- I think he had the most dominant individual rebounding game in this game that I've ever seen before. 11 offensive rebounds. Just a genuinely embarrassing rebounding effort by the Cavs. Like Jared Allen is getting thrown around like a rag doll. This is what your team is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be the size inside and the dynamic guards. And over the course of the series, both of those things broke down. And that you're going you're gonna to lose if, if you can't even have one of those legs to stand on. As much as we wanted the, to dog the Bucks for this performance tonight, that was a dog fight, you know? They were on the beach. Yeah. They were shirtless. They were doing that thing where they're playing offense and defense at the same time, like in Top Gun. <laughs> okay. The Cavs were ridiculous. This was embarrassing. They did have the one win in which Mitchell was absolutely magic. But other than that, they just got their ass blown out. And I mean, we could probably talk about J.B. Bickerstaff's role in all of this, but the roster just was not suited to be in a series like this. They came into it with four quality players, and then every time they tried to go and find something else, there was nothing there. So at a certain point, you can't really blame the coaching staff when there are no adjustments to make because your roster doesn't allow for it. You know, I also have to say, like, can we put a moratorium on the Evan Mobley hype train? Like, you know how you have the on your phone, you could just like block an app and it will just cut you off after five minutes. How, how many months do we want to just not talk about Evan Mobley? Like two, three? Very he... with, the, with the Rob Mahoney friendly fire there. Damn, I don't even damn. understand I'm, that. I'm sitting right Jeez. here. It be your own people, Rob. (laughs) God. (laughs) Look, I mean, there's only so much you can say after the guy had, what, six points in this game? Like, Evan Mobley has to find ways to be a more relevant offensive player. And honestly, it's not even just scoring, right? Part of the whole Donovan Mitchell conversation, and Waz, I know this is a pain point for you too, Donovan Mitchell's vision is not what you want in a lead guard, right? And, And the result of that, the Knicks trapped him, and they were right to trap him. But then the Cavs have kind of like so-so secondary playmaking from guys like Mobley and Allen, right? Like if if he dumps the outlet pass to them, are they going to get it where it needs to go? Sometimes. And even if they do, the guy who they're passing to is some role player, a pretty spotty role player in most instances, that then has to finish those plays. So like the whole chain is broken. Bad bad vision into so-so secondary playmaking into like a three-point shooter who can't really shoot. It's not a winnable formula. And so the fact that the Knicks created that formula, I mean, it's expert stuff. Like, they they managed the series perfectly. Tom Thibodeau, again, another one of the coaches who coached pretty much a perfect run here in terms of pressing all the right buttons. And moreover, this is a team that got very few good performances from Julius Randle in this series to the point that he got benched in the fourth corner in game four, and he had to leave this game at halftime because he tweaked his ankle again, looked to be in a lot of pain. We'll have to see what his availability is and how he's dealing with that. Uh, didn't play in the second half. Didn't matter. 
Obi Toppin, you're starting the second half. Josh Hart, you're basically playing power forward now. And we're going to win this game. We're going to close out a really good regular season team in the Cleveland Cavaliers that was not ready for this. Yeah. Cavs left. They had opportunities at the end there. And the Knicks just ripped it away from them. Um, we should talk briefly, though, because it's going to be Knicks heat in the second round. Could we just stop for a second? It's going to be Classic. the New York Knickerbockers in their first second round appearance since 2013. Their second insanity. since Y2K. Oh, and insanity. the Miami Heat. Uh, but we'll see about Julius Randle. Obviously, Rob mentioned he has the ankle. We'll see if he, he can go in the next one. Um, Waz, what do, you, what do you think about this series? Do you think the Heat can continue rolling the success over into the next round? Man, I think the Knicks can stop them, right? Like, unlike Milwaukee, <laughs> the Knicks will play real defense. And I think they have the, the, the type of pieces that they could throw at Jimmy. It's not just big bodies, but live bodies, right? Um, not that, like as much as we like Brooke Lopez's defender, he's a plodding sort of guy. Uh, when they when they change those looks up and they send Mitchell Robinson his way, this guy is light on his feet, right? So much agility. I think they're gonna just do much better at guarding. Um, you know, take that as you may, listener. I thought the Bucks would do a good job of guarding Jimmy Butler. Um, but Didn't again, apparently he's the, he's, the, he's the best player since Jordan. Um, yeah, I just think it's going to be a really exciting series. Uh, the Garden, of course, they were up for this series. It's, it's going up a level in the second round, I promise you. They're smelling... The Eastern Conference, trust me, it's already happening. They're, they're having visions of grandeur um, already. And so the Garden is going to be just an incredible atmosphere. And, you know, just before we get off of the, um, the Cavs series, it must be said, Mark Cuban stinks at his job. <laughs> like... You suck at what you do, <laughs> where, bro. Where are we? Oh, is this a Jalen Brunson tangent? Is that Brunson. what we're doing? Okay, yeah, yeah. Jalen Brunson. The Mavs are tweeting Kyrie highlights tonight. Are oh, you really? out of your freaking mind? Jalen Brunson was in your building and you lowballed the hell out of him, treating him like he was some chump. And now he's in the second round and you fools couldn't even make the play in. Well, let me Ooh, ask you a question off Lord that. Lord have mercy. So Brunson, I feel like his his risen to the level of his contract is appropriate now, especially after the series. I mean, it's pretty great. And so, the Mavs so are going to pay like, Kyrie more. <laughs> so where is Brunson, though? Is he on perennial all-star level at this point? Is he a notch below? Is he a notch above? Like, where would you put him in just like the star satellite, I guess? Tony Parker in his prime. Tony <laughs> wow. Parker. Always, I love always. How you added the Knicks accent there, too. The, uh, the New York <laughs> one came out. Tony Parker. You know, always knocking on the door on the All-Star team, and in the right year, he gets in. But always knocking on the door because his play is consistently excellent. Um, and yeah, man, Brunson, ultimate team guy. That's that's the other part of this. It's like he's the ultimate leader team guy, and you've replaced him with Kyrie after giving up a bunch of picks for it. <laughs> just like this is just it's unreal. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> Especially what what Brunson showed in this series, I think, and really all season, 
he's the kind of guard who you can run a ton of offense through, as we've seen, just like creating an ISO, creating a pick and roll, every possible angle. He's going to get into the lane. He's going to pivot. He's going to create space. He's so good with the floater, with the touch. But he's also a guy who can attack really quickly off ball, right? Like if, he, if he's in the corner and he catches, he makes really fast moves. He drives into the teeth of defense. He doesn't have to be the driving superstar all the time in ways that let Julius Randle have, you know, maybe an all-NBA season. Like give him a lot of room to breathe over the course of the year. The fact that you're the Mavs and you give that kind of player up is, uh, I mean, it, it's been litigated that it's crazy, but it's crazy. But ultimately, it's the kind of thing that gets you through a series like this one, that makes you adaptable, that makes you playoff viable. Not not just the, to the point like, oh, is this guy an all-star? But we get in series, and this was true when he was a Maverick too, and he's a, he's a freaking punisher, right? He is yeah, hunting yeah. people down and scoring and winning games. That's a different kind of player. And 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 yes, and and the Donovan Mitchell part again, it needs to be mentioned. Two years in a row, Jalen Brunson snatches this man's soul out of his heart, yep. steps on it, and kills him, buries this dude twice. That's what that's what's gotta be a heartaching experience for Cleveland fans. It's like, no, this guy has professional pride. I would have said coming into the season that Donovan Mitchell's if not the best, he's the second best shooting guard in the league. And Jalen Brunson's just chumping this guy. Two playoff series in a row. Both times as underdogs. Can't make this stuff up, man. Donovan Mitchell is going to spend the whole summer looking over his shoulder, wondering if he's about to get dragged into another Jalen Brunson pick and roll. Like, please, please, God, <laughs> keep me away from this guy. Who has the worst summer? Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert? Donovan Mitchell. Are you kidding me? Is this a bagels over baguettes me? sort of thing? Why, why, why you got to bring Rudy into this? You know, what did he, what Rudy, did he do Rudy, today? Rudy, listen, the thing about Rudy is like, y'all brought me in to play the position of a dude that's already here, right? It's like, I have a defined um, situation. I just got to rebound and play some defense. And like, I can actually live up to the things that are being asked of me. Probably can't be defensive player of the year anymore. But I can be a really good, solid defensive player, get rebounds, every now and again, hopefully make a wide open layup against a guy who's five foot eleven and you know, move on with my life. I don't think Donovan Mitchell has it in him to be what's asked of him. That team is cursed. That jazz team, Quinn Snyder's out here like trying to piece together the Trey Hung, Trey Young Hawks. <laughs> like Someone protect Rudy Gay, man. Like, something bad is going to happen. <laughs> <that dude. laughs> I mean, jo Joe Ingles got bounced today. No one is safe. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, Maurice O'Neal also gone in the first round. Nobody's safe. Uh, let's say goodbye to Cleveland just quickly here. Um, how does this team get better? They have a mid-level exception. So you like mean mechanically can... or like what do they need to improve? Because <laughs> I think we know what they need to improve. Is it everything? Yeah, they need to figure out that three. They need to figure out that three. Um, obviously, I I don't think there's any version of Mobley where he comes back and he's some incredible offensive player, but he has to be better. He has to show improvement as something tangible on offense next year. Not that they're going to ask him to carry some major burden on that end of, of the floor, but they need to do that. And, you know, questions need to be asked about the, the two big pairing because the the that's the most heartbreaking thing about how how disgustingly they played uh on the rebounding end is that when you start two bigs and you play two bigs heavy minutes 
th- that's supposed to be one of the benefits that teams can't just, you know, big dog you all over the place. And they got mauled on the boards playing two bigs. So you're getting no benefits spacing-wise and all the things that teams accrue on offense as far as benefits when they don't use the two-big tactic and none of it on defense. So, yeah, they got to really maybe want to rethink that. Mobley needs to take a meaningful step toward being a full-time five. And a lot of that is body work, right? A lot of that is he just needs to be stronger. And it's going to take time. No one is expecting it to happen immediately. That is his ultimate destiny. And you're going to try to put guys like Allen next to him in the meantime to get through regular seasons, to get through tough matchups, to make these kinds of things work. But we see the limitations of it, right? Like if they need to put more spacing around him, it's going to make him look more dynamic offensively. It's going to make him a more effective finisher. But you got to have that kind of body where you can be a five in a game like this, where it can be you versus Mitchell Robinson and you're not giving up this many offensive rebounds. I don't think we're a year away from that, though. Allen's a stopgap, not a solution in your guys' mind. Because they don't have many quality rotation players at all. And, and the means, they have no. some this offseason. It's going to be tough just to add players, let alone what? the right players. And it should be noted in this series when the four core guys have been on the floor, they've been pretty good, right? Even even within these confines, even in losing games, like those four guys, those lineups have been good. It's all the bench stuff, right? It's anytime you have to cobble together anything else. So Allen's a stopgap in a sense. I would say he's like non-essential personnel is what he is. He's a, he's a very good player. No one is, you know, impugning Jared Allen or that he can't be effective or he can't be really good in the right matchups and things like that. This was not his series, clearly. He can be more effective than this. But if he's the piece that ultimately needs to be moved down the line, and again, I'm saying down the line because I don't think Evan Mobley's ready for that, then that's something you have to at least consider. It's something that could get you potential wing help if that's where you need to go. Justin, in an ideal world, right, um, Allen would be on the team and it'd be about matchup specifics, right? Um, if the, mm. the matchup called for Mobley at the five with a lot more just spacing around him because the matchup said we're not going to get killed on the boards, there's no threat for, you know, these huge offensive rebound burdens, then, you know, we do that and we leave Jared Allen on the bench and we keep it pushing that way. But as it stands right now, realistically, you, you cannot play Evan Mobley at the five. You just can't do it. Right against any meaningful matchup. Like, I think back to Toronto in 2019 where they had Serge and they had Marcus Gasol, right? Sometimes they would start them. Sometimes they would only start the one, right? It depended on who they were playing. Um, but again, one of those guys could legitimately play center for you. I don't think Mobley is capable of playing full-time real deal center for these guys yet. Um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's not within him to get there though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they need wings in order to put him at the five because then they need to fill two spots instead of one. So it gets tricky, yeah. you know, and that's where the not having the resources really comes into play here. But you know, yeah, if he turned into some sort of I could call- Listen, New Ike version Koro of Jackson, showed, maybe. showed a little bit of signs tonight. I liked what Ike Koro did. He had some, you know, he had some Ike. moments where he was doing decent. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> he was doing decent. 
He was doing decent against Brunson. Um, he made a couple of corner threes, wide open, mind you. Um, you know, he he had some moments, so maybe he does some off-season improvements. So a lot of this stuff is internal improvement. We haven't really even talked about Garland at all. I thought he was good or decent enough. Um, yeah. It called for him to be absolutely great, like he was in the one game that they were able to win. But yeah, these guys can get better. You know, they're young enough to get better, but you wonder if it's going to be enough to, you know, beat the freaking Knicks in the first round next year. <laughs> the juggernaut Knicks, you know? How, how are you supposed this to beat this crazy. team? This is crazy. This is crazy. I'm honestly with you on Okoro, though. I think for as much as the Cavs, clearly, we've circled all season their needs for this fifth guy, their needs for someone who can be in that spot, who can either shoot, who can kind of assist in creation, who can be a little bit more dynamic, whatever you want, defend wings, all that stuff. They also just need someone who has what Okoro has, which is like a little bit of edge, a little bit of bite, someone who plays with a ton of energy. They need that verve. I thought as much as anything, like his minutes were valuable for that reason. Listen, Dylan Brooks is going to be a free agent this summer. I don't know if you've heard. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what did he, what did <laughs> he choose tonight? Well, what, do you want to go to that game now? Yeah, um, let's, let's flip over there. All right, Grizzlies win this one in Memphis. Uh, really showed some heart. Unlike the Cavs, the Grizzlies showed up for this one. Ja had an awesome night, 31 points. Bain, 33 points in this one. Uh, Rob, I like the little bit of small ball that the Grizzlies flashed there. I don't think it's like a full-time solution, but, and I, I guess we should talk about the Luke Kennard injury. It seemed like he provided some of the space in order to make that work. But, you know, yeah. Ja, Tyus Jones, Desmond Bain, Brooks and Tillman or Jaron Jackson had some success tonight. I, I, I don't know if that... What do you think that can carry over, I guess, is the question? I, I mean, I do think Kennard's pretty important, right? Like, a lot of this... A lot of the reason the Grizzlies' efforts in this game worked in general is this was an immaculate Desmond Bain game. Like, his shooting opened up a lot of things. It really got, I think, their team confidence up when they started hitting a lot of threes to the point that it carried into some of these lineups. But I do like those small ball looks, right? You lose... You've already lost, I think, some of your identity as a Steven Adams team, even as a Brandon Clark team, right? Like those guys are not available to you. Let's try something different. And just as importantly, they kind of baited the Lakers into playing small too in ways that yep. I don't know that they can really do. Like they they played LeBron at the five some in this game. No, Let's just say LeBron is not rotating the way you want your backline guy to rotate at this particular moment in time. The Grizz were just getting layups in those moments. Uh, so yeah, it's either like, if, if that way, if the Lakers do try to match up with you, it's LeBron at the five, it's Rui Hachimura at the five, it's Wenyan Gabriel at the five, who we saw just get cooked by Desmond Bain off the dribble a couple times in this game, could not stay in front of him. I, I like that dynamic for this series for Memphis. I mean, not only does it create space and create lanes to the rim, I mean, we, we saw, you know, they were throwing alley-oops to jaw off of set plays. That's the kind of space that they had in this game. Uh, but I think it's just good for, like, their overall management of 48 minutes, right? Like, we're going to have our Xavier Tillman time. We're going to have the time where we're crashing the glass and working inside. But let's space it out. We have some of the best shooters in the world in this team, too. Yeah, and the Lakers look like a team um, that was up 3-1, had an extremely quick turnaround. Their best guys are bruised up, LeBron and AD. And LeBron, man... <laughs> God bless him, you know, in year 20. The fact that he would hold off a foot surgery just because there was the potential he might make the second round of the playoffs, right? Like, I, I, I love him for that. 
But he just looks so spent at times, man. Especially, there was one possession, Justin, where this guy, on a drive to the rim when nobody's around, he just falls on the floor. He just fell down. He he just fell down. Wow, like, what could be more relatable than that? <laughs> my goodness, dude. He just, there was just certain points in this game and throughout this series where he's showing his age. And I think the Lakers seemed like a team that was just like understood that, like, look, man, we got a home game to close these guys out. Um, we've played them pretty damn well all series. Uh, we, we probably don't got the pedal to the metal mentality that obviously the much more desperate, younger, fresher legs team had. And yeah, Bane finally started making some jump shots. So the Grizzlies, you know, they got some space for themselves and it didn't get to the point where they could choke it away at the end. Um, but yeah, I, to me, to my mind, this is a one game series now. Um, whoever wins game six is coming out of this thing um, the way I see it. And so, yeah, all eyes on the Lakers uh, and Memphis in game six. Is, I'm about to say Staples, crypto.com arena. The crypt. Uh, to quote LeBron, tonight, I wish shit, and I'll be better <laughs> in game six. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Grizzlies just punched them in the mouth, and the Lakers are such a methodical team at this point. Edie had an incredible game, like, in the midst of all this 31 and 19. He was, it just didn't it was matter. really good. They just, they just need to slowly chip away, and so to come back after that av- avalanche was a little bit much. Um, to, to pile on Waz's point about LeBron, I mean, he has had amazing plays in this series, and we should mention that. But good God, this guy from three is, I don't even know, man, just like looking like AD almost at this point. Uh, He was one for nine, three for 28 over the past four games, six for 36 in this first round series. That's 17% from three. And it wouldn't be a big deal if this was peak LeBron who wasn't hobbled. But as we've seen, like, especially when the Grizzlies start raining, he needs to jack it up in order to to match them. And also when he doesn't get by his defender, he is prone to just lofting it up there and kind of going about his business. And so it's starting to compound. I don't think it's the type of thing that will really like fell them this series, but it's something to keep an eye on for sure. He just spends a lot of possessions or really the Lakers spend a lot of possessions with like four other players passing around the ball, like four of the role players effectively, especially when AD is out. And LeBron is like at the hash mark, right? I think part of the reason yeah. he's one for nine in a game like this, he's taking 35 footers. Like that's that's where he's setting up shop to try to draw some defense outside. He's not he's not healthy, you know? Like it, it, yeah. it's so obvious every time he plays on both sides of the floor, he's giving them everything he can give them. He's dragging them through this series. We'll see if they can ultimately get to the finish line. But AD's gonna have to have another game like this one, right? I'm I'm with I'm totally with you, Oz. Like if if they let game six slip, I I, I think they're in real trouble. I, I don't I don't even because he's not going to his post-ups. He doesn't like because I feel like he doesn't feel explosive enough, um, even on his post-ups. And they're just like, we're gonna leave you on an island. You're not gonna draw help on those post-ups, and so it's gonna be useless. And yeah, he just doesn't. He doesn't look like himself. Just the idea that he's afraid to take uh, Tillman off of the dribble, where he's like, yeah, I have no problem guarding you out to 30 feet. Like, even last year's LeBron just dribbles right past that dude, draws help, 
or gets a layup, right? Um, he's not doing that against anybody right now, much less a Dylan Brooks or a Jaron Jackson um, Jr. So, yeah, man, who knows? It's LeBron, right? I say this all the time. I, I always leave space for LeBron's capacity to surprise. Um, and who knows? Maybe he will surprise us again in this playoffs, but it's looking more and more bleak by the game. Can I, can I do a bit of trivia with you guys? Yeah. Sure. We're already an hour into this pod, man. You do whatever you want. <laughs> Why not? Uh, what what player in this series do you think is shooting 4 of 15 from 3, 27% from 3 for the series, and is minus 25 overall? Um, Dennis Schroeder? No. Both good guesses. I mean, look, a lot of Lakers role players have struggled, but he, but it it's one of one of their cohorts. Uh, Beasley is. Are you bringing oh, this up because of Beasley? I knew it's, it's our Beasley. good friend Malik Beasley. <laughs> our good friend yeah. Malik Beasley. Rob is having his vengeance. Um, oh, yeah, man. Beasley. Beasley has not been good when he's on the floor. He's barely getting him up, and like his looks are never in rhythm. It, it oftentimes it just feels like he's forcing these threes, man. Yeah. Very he's tough. He's not helping stuff. you defensively. So like, no, if he's not no, making he's not. threes, like. <laughs> Why even play him? Um, guys, I got to be honest. Tonight, I was shit. But when we pod this weekend, I'm going to be better. Okay? <laughs> Close out game on Sunday, Justin. Bring it. Okay. Uh, awesome night of basketball. This is really fun. Yeah, this is, this is what we do this for. Yeah. We'll be back uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, thank you to Isaiah Blakely. Thank you to Ben Cruz on production. Uh, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.